0: Hi everyone. Welcome once again to the 50 years ago in hockey podcast. This is our weekly episode number 128. I'm your host Rick Cole. Every week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane back 50 years and we bring you all the hockey news from that time period exactly as it happened. As it was reported in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we are in the week of April 24th to 30th, 1972. If you like what we do here on uh, the podcast and every day on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers get early access to each week's free podcast, and we also have some special content that we put out over the last couple of years where we delve more deeply into the issues that made the big news in the hockey world at that time. We have more special features planned for our Patreon folks, And uh, we have a lot of historical stories you probably won't find anywhere else, especially about the founding of the World Hockey Association. So that's patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe. And we thank you for your support. So as we go into this week, the Rangers have swept the Blackhawks out of the playoffs. And on Tuesday night, the Bruins were to meet the St. Louis Blues in St. Louis to try and complete that completely expected sweep as well. And we're going to talk about the games. Uh, the Bruins, as you know, would sweep the Blues and the Stanley Cup playoffs would start on Sunday. We'll get to all the games that were played this week. But first, we want to do some quick notes from around the hockey world this week because there was a lot of news, as there always is, during the Stanley Cup playoffs. You get a lot of hockey people together and news off-ice news is usually made so we start off with the elimination of the Toronto Marlboros from the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A playoffs general manager Tommy Smythe who's basically run that organization the past few years he announced he would not be returning to the team and thus he becomes the last member of the legendary Smythe family to leave the Maple Leaf Gardens organization, and we all felt a, a twinge of sadness over that event. Here's a neat story about Rangers rookie forward Gene Carr and the last game that the Rangers played to eliminate Chicago in four straight. Now, Carr was one of the heroes of the Rangers' 6-2 win in that fourth game, and that hammered the final nail in the Blackhawks' coffin. He smuggled, Carr that is, he smuggled a hockey stick out of Madison Square Garden, after that fourth game, now it was not the stick in which with which he scored his first Stanley Cup playoff goal, and that happened at eighteen twenty two of the second period. No, no, this was something an even greater treasure for Jean Carr; it was the stick which Bobby Hull had used to open the scoring in the game for the Blackhawks. So he Red Burnett of the Toronto Star asked the rookie, what the heck were you doing with that? Well, Carr said that the jet has been my idol for a long time, and I asked him for the stick when we tangled back their goal. kid just admitted it. He said it was uh, – Carr said it was great of Hull to remember after the game, and he sent the stick to the Rangers dressing room before – they left the rink before the Hawks left the rink. Now, after a defeat like that, most guys would have been too cheesed off. But Bobby Hull, according to Gene Carr, is the greatest, and a lot of people thought that of Hull at that time. Now, Carr recalled that he was a stick boy for the Rangers during a preseason game in Nanaimo, B.C., and that was 10 years ago. Rangers trainer at the time was Frankie Pace And he gave Carr a broken stick and a buck For his night's work Last night, the win assured Gene Carr Of a $7,000 slice of the NHL playoff pot And it could be more if they beat the Bruins Well, Blackhawks president Bill Wirtz Everyone expected him to Uh, explode like an atom bomb after his team was eliminated four straight. But Bill seemed to want to take the high road in this instance. He said that although he was very disappointed with his team's loss in four straight games to the Rangers, he was not going to be pushing any panic buttons. And in any event, he was sure that Coach Billy Ray and General Manager Tommy Ivan will have jobs in the Chicago Organization for Life. What jobs they might have is are not clear. A lot of people are speculating that Ray is done behind the bench and Ivan will be kicked upstairs so younger men can come in and mold the future of the Blackhawks. Ottawa sports writer Bob Meller, and he would later write a book on the subject we're going to talk about, this week he was reporting that the World Hockey Association Ottawa Nationals are negotiating with the Red Wings forward, Mickey Redmond, and Penguins winger, Eddie Shaq, and Shaq would be a great draw for the WHA. Now, he got a hold of owner Doug Michelle, and Michelle said, I don't like to name drop I don't like to just throw names out there, but Michel did admit that he is trying to negotiate with Red Wings fine young player Marcel Dion to bring him to Ottawa. This was a bit of a strange one to we Leaf fans. King Clancy this week became the first non-player to win the J.P. Bickle Memorial Trophy. Now that trophy is annually awarded by the team's board of directors to the top Maple Leafs player in a given season. Uh, People like Ted Kennedy, Johnny Bauer have won it. And there have been years when the trophy simply wasn't awarded because the board felt that no player was deserving of the honor well this year king clancy was given the trophy now the king if you remember took over coaching the leafs in february early february when johnny mcclellan fell ill and uh, the king led the leafs to the stanley cup playoffs where they were taken out by the bruins in five games Milt Dunnell of the Toronto Star tells us that McClellan is no worse than even money to return to the Leafs coaching post next season. Uh, Johnny is feeling much better these days, and Harold Ballard has gone on record saying he will not replace a man if he's well enough to continue. No one should lose their job just because they got sick unless they're too ill to carry on. Well, Mac will confer with his family in the near future and inform Ballard whether he will be well enough to coach next season now in a related story a Pittsburgh sports writer called Harold Ballard to ask him if he were at all interested in the Penguins coach Red Kelly for the Leafs job now if the truth were to be known Ballard is very very interested in bringing Red back to Toronto But he's not going to say a word about that because pal Hal likes uh, only one thing more than his hockey team and that's saving a buck and he would certainly get a big fine from the NHL if he mentioned how much he would like to see Red Kelly behind the Leafs bench. Red, by the way, did sign a contract extension after after the season with the Penguins, so it would seem right now that the chances of him going to Toronto would be between uh, slim and none right about now. The New York Rangers have announced that they're taking over the operation of their American Hockey League farm team, the Reds, who play in Providence, Rhode Island. That means that the contracts of general manager Dave Creighton and Coach Larry Wilson will not be renewed and the New York people will name the replacement shortly. For those uh, younger hockey fans who remember Adam Creighton who played in the NHL so well, Dave Creighton was Adam's father. It was a news item that upset me at the time. The Ontario Hockey Association has approved the transfer of the Niagara Falls Flyers franchise to Sudbury, Ontario. Niagara Falls City Council was livid at the decision by former owner Hap Ems to sell to Sudbury, Ontario interests because there were groups in Niagara Falls that we're planning on making an offer for the team and keeping it in the Niagara region. So the uh, Niagara Falls Council is going to appeal and protest this whole thing to whomever might listen. They've even said they'll go to the uh, Ontario government in an effort to keep the team in the Cataract City. Well, NHL President Clarence Campbell seems like he's on a perpetual vacation, the way he's traveling North America these days. This week, he was in Kansas City, Missouri. His purpose there was to interview the four applicants that have applied for an NHL expansion franchise for that city. Campbell and the rest of the Board of Governors are very 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 high on the Kansas City uh, uh, location for an NHL franchise, and you gotta wonder why. Apparently, one of the uh, one of the high ranking executives who will be helping run the franchise should the NHL award a team to Kansas City, wink wink, nudge nudge, and you'll see why I say that. The fella's name. Is Jeff Jennings. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it should. Jeff Jennings is a son of a fellow by the name of William Jennings, better known as the president of the New York Rangers and the chair of the National Hockey League Board of Governors Expansion Committee. Now, why? Would Jeff Jennings be so prominent in this? Because that's the way the NHL does business. And if you're going to hire a relative of Jennings, just remember what happened in 1967. If you remember, one of the teams that got an expansion franchise in was the Oakland Seals. Do You remember who their owner was? The first owner, a fellow by the name of Baron Van Gerbig, a guy who was a hockey fan played a little bit of goal in college hockey and somehow this guy who proved to be completely incompetent was awarded an NHL franchise you know why he was a tennis buddy of Bill Jennings that's why that's how the NHL did business 50 years ago and not much has changed going into this week it was looking like Minnesota North Stars defenseman Ted Harris was poised to jump to his hometown Winnipeg Jets the main sticking point in Harris's negotiations with the North Stars was his demand for a no trade clause Ren Blair simply would not agree to that but by Monday Harris did agree to a three-year contract with the North Stars. How did that happen? Well, no one would say for sure, and it doesn't seem to be on paper anywhere, but it's believed that Ren Blair promised Ted Harris a hefty bag of cash if he were to be traded to another National Hockey League team two Detroit Red Wings defensemen underwent knee surgery on Tuesday of this week. They were Ron Harris and Arnie Brown, two key members by the way of the Red Wings Blue Line Corps and they both had ligament damage repaired. Word is that the surgeries went pretty well and they will be ready by the time training camp rolls around in September. Last week, what we reported that Vic Stasiuk, the coach of the California Not-So-Golden Seals, told folks he was looking for a job, even though no one from the Seals organization had informed him that he'd been dismissed. Uh, Vic had sent letters and made calls to General Manager Gary Young and owner Charlie Finley, and he didn't receive any type of response at all. So he just figured that they were conducting business as usual for the Seals and, of course, Vic was right. This this week, Young, presumably after letting Vic know, but you really don't know, announced that Stasiak's contract was not being renewed. No reason for the dismissal was given and no replacement was announced either. Now, is it any wonder that this organization was ultimately not able to survive in the NHL? Typical NHL way of doing business. By the way, it's thought that Stasiuk is going to land on his feet. Vancouver writers are telling anybody who uh, reads their papers that it's pretty much a sure thing that Stasiuk will replace Hal Lako in Vancouver. Stasiuk goes back a long way with Canucks general manager... Uh, Bud Poyle, and that's why it's thought that uh, he would probably be brought in to replace Laco. But here's another uh, bit of speculation. Uh, An Atlanta newspaper reported that Stasiuk was hired by the Atlanta team's president, Bill Putnam, and Putnam hired Stasiuk when he was uh, became the coach of Philadelphia and they're reporting that Putnam may be going to bring Stasia on board for the new Atlanta franchise as well but that remains to be seen. The Calgary Herald, uh, sports editor Hal Walker, says that uh, people are figuring that Frank Mahavlich is talking seriously with the Houston team in the World Hockey Association, but Frank denies that. Walker also reports that Ted Green is reported to already have signed with the Winnipeg Jets of the WHA. He Also, Walker has lots going on this week. He says that it's a lock. Kansas City will definitely be one of those two expansion franchises added by the NHL for 74-75. And by the way, that announcement is going to take place in late May, probably around May 25th. And one other WHA signing as a player, former Pittsburgh Penguin George Connick, who has been out of pro hockey for three years, has signed on with the Minnesota Fighting Saints. The NHL in Cincinnati, well, it could be They have gone on record as saying uh, that they want a franchise. They put a $25,000 good faith fee on record with the NHL. And now the city council in Cincinnati has committed the city to building a National Hockey League quality sports arena on lands right next door to Riverfront Stadium where the baseball Cincinnati Reds play. Harry Howell was always one of my favorite NHL players. When I was about 10, 11 years old, I had relatives, uh, my my grandmother's brothers and sisters lived in Hamilton down the street from where Harry Howell lived and they made sure knowing I was such a hockey nut at that age, around 10 years old. They made sure that I got to meet Harry Howell one afternoon on a Sunday when we were up visiting. Harry brought over a picture. He signed it right in front of me. Uh, They took pictures with me and Harry. He was such a wonderful, nice man. I can't say enough good things about him. And so I always really liked Harry, even though he played for the rival New York Rangers. There had been times that he was rumored being traded to the Leafs, and I fervently hope that was true never did come to pass well this week the New York Times is reporting that Harry is probably going to hang up his skates so he can become the first coach of the World Hockey Association New York Raiders now why would they call a rival team the Raiders it sounds so much like Rangers but the uh, guys with the high foreheads and WHA must have had a good reason for that the Detroit Red Wings made the only real trade of this week when they sent defenseman Jim Neekamp to the Vancouver Canucks. And this actually wasn't even a real trade at this point anyway. What this actually was was the completion of a deal that had been negotiated at the trading deadline in March that sent forward Ralph Stewart from the Canucks to the Red Wings. A couple of days later, The uh, team said that the return would not be announced until after the season, so the guy who was the typical player to be named later was announced now, and that was Jimmy Nykamp. Nykamp. He goes to the Canucks, but he wasn't a Canuck for very long because two days after that deal was announced, Nykamp announced that he was jumping to the World Hockey Association and he would now be playing for the Los Angeles Sharks. Well, another coach, NHL coach, bit the dust this week as well. The Los Angeles Kings fired Freddie Glover, who was their fifth coach in as many NHL seasons. General manager Larry Regan announced that the club considered the job Glover had done in 68 games behind the LA bench as Creditable, whatever that means. But the club decided not to exercise a contract option to retain him for the 1972-73 season. Glover, who was 43, was hired on October 30th last season, replacing Regan so he could concentrate on the GM job. He needs to concentrate on it more by the looks of the Kings franchise at that point the Kings were in an early season slump. Glover had been fired three games into the season by the Seals whom he had coached for three years and of course that's where he was replaced by Vic Stasiak so Freddie and Vic can now look for jobs together by the looks of it. Under Glover the Kings had an 18-42-8 record of course, that was good enough to finish dead last in the Western Division, 11 points behind the sixth place seals. Regan said when Freddie was signed as coach of the Kings, it had been agreed that he would be coach until the end of the 71 72 season, although they did put the option to renew his contract. So, however, how you spin it, They didn't like the way Freddie Glover coached but since he's a fifth guy in five years it's pretty obvious that Larry Regan doesn't like the way anybody coaches. You just got to wonder when Jack Kent Cook is going to tire of the way Larry Regan generally manages the LA Kings. This was an interesting little story this week. There was word out of Baltimore that Abe Pollin, who is the owner of the NBA, National Basketball Association, Baltimore Bullets, and he says he is going to apply for a National Hockey League expansion franchise but the team will not likely be located in Baltimore, who have no suitable arena for NHL play right now. Apparently, Paulin, and we hadn't heard this name or this situation up until now, he wants to locate the new NHL team in the District of Columbia, where a new rink suitable for NHL play is under development. Now, I'm not sure at this point whether they had broken ground for the construction of the arena, but it sounded like pretty much a sure thing. Paul, on a pretty bright guy, thinks he's going to get in right on the ground floor, and so you're going to have a team from the NHL in the United States capital of Washington? Jeez, that doesn't sound right. Frank Boucher was on the banquet circuit this week, and one young fellow at one of the hockey banquets they were at put up his hand. He had a question for Frank. Now, Frank was on a line with Bill and Bun Cook. They had played for the New York Rangers, and they had led them to their first Stanley Cup 43 years ago. That's how long ago it had been since the Rangers had won their first Stanley Cup. Well, anyway, Frank bill and bun cook they were known as the bread line because they certainly delivered the bread for new york this young fellow asked boucher how do you get out of a slump and boucher never shy about answering questions very blunt never worrying about his words at all said our solution to breaking a slump was really quite simple we quit drinking and we didn't start drinking again until the team started to win. So let's get to the playoff games now. Some, in, some uh, indications of how the NHL does business. On Monday, the NHL announced that the Stanley Cup playoff final series would begin the following Sunday afternoon at Boston between the Bruins and the New York Rangers. Nothing really uh, remarkable about this, except for one slight detail. A detail that seems to have been overlooked by those who allegedly run the National Hockey League. Boston, at this point, had not yet eliminated the St. Louis Blues. True, Boston led the series three games to none. But shouldn't the league at least wait until rigor mortis had set in before declaring the Blues legally dead? Just a very Mickey Mouse move by a Mickey Mouse hockey league. No wonder years later, Mario Lemieux would call the league a a garage league. Wayne Gretzky would declare a franchise to be a Mickey Mouse franchise. And they've continued this way right up until the present. Now, the matter at hand on Tuesday night wasn't whether the Blues could extend the series to a fifth game. Rather, it was, could the Blues avoid a fourth straight embarrassment? Jerry Cheevers, the Boston Netminder tab to start Game 4, did his part for the hype machine, trying to j- drum up a little interest by declaring he was a little scared of the Blues for this game. Cheever said, I'm not getting to people who snickered when he said he was worried. Cheever said, you can go back through the National Hockey League playoff history and find a team-facing elimination really puts out. I don't care how badly St. Louis was beaten in the other three games. Cheever said, this will be the toughest game in the series. And actually... Cheevers was kind of right as we'll see. It seems the buzzword for this year's playoffs was quote physical at least among all the writers and everyone wondered if the Blues would turn to that sort of game to possibly disrupt the Bruins and prolong things. Coach Al Arbor had a ready answer for that. Arbor made it clear at the practice before the game that he was emphasizing it later in the day as well that there was no way the Blues could possibly get physical with the Bruins and hope to stay on the same sheet of ice with the team that is favored to win anything. First of all, says Al, they're a big team, one of the biggest teams in hockey. They have experience, they have savvy, and we don't. Al says the Blues have eight kids who never have been in cup playoffs before, and you can't allow the kids to play undisciplined hockey. But, added Arbor, the big reason that no one can get physical with the Bruins is the Boston Power Play. That unit will kill you. Al says, look what it's done to us. Hockey fans feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Right now, customers can bet just one dollar on any team to win the game, and they get $150 in free bets if their team does exactly that. If sportsbook isn't available in your state or province yet, you can still hit the ice for cold hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and and play for free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals, assists, saves, and much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code THPN. That's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just a dollar on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do win that game. That's twenty code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or over. Some restrictions do apply. See our show notes for all the details. So, what did happen in that fourth game? Well, we're going to let Red Fisher of the Montreal Star, a legendary sports writer in his own right, we're going to let Red tell the story. So who's been spreading those nasty rumors about the St. Louis Blues being easy marks for the Bruins? It must be them media men write and talk with forked tongues. Okay, so the scores of the first three games of this no contest series were 6-1, 10-2 and 7-2. But what about game four? after being ripped and torn 23-5 to in three games, isn't Game 4 a good time to capitulate without a whimper? Well, not so. Otherwise, how do you explain? The Bruins needing an empty net goal to manage to down the Blues... 5-3. For a while it may have appeared that way. The ingredients were there. Phil Esposito scores 89 seconds into the game and then when the Bruins have a power play going slightly less than 10 minutes into the game that's John Busey catching an open side. Two goals up time to lock it up right? Wrong. Terry Crisp gets one back in the 16th minute of play largely because Wayne Cashman had almost scored on Jerry Cheevers seconds earlier. But when the Bruins get two more, Music and Esposito, in the second period, the same tired overworked script appears ready to be written. But what's this? Jack Eagers displays his only smidgen of emotion in the entire series and soundly thrashes Carl Vadney late in the second period. And then it's Andre DuPont getting Cheevers to fan on a shot midway through the middle frame. And another well-unknown name like Chris Evans catches Cheevers with a long shot that deflects high into the goal and suddenly... Everybody in St. Louis is on their feet, roaring for the Blues, and the Blues are skating strongly, and there's just, oh, maybe a spot of concern among the Boston ranks. Boston coach Tom Johnson is a word for it, long after Wayne Cashman scored into an empty net to send the Bruins happily to the Stanley Cup Finals against the Rangers on Sunday. Worried? Not really, says Johnson. How many could they fluke in? On the other hand, he said, once that thing starts bouncing, there's no telling for certain when it'll stop. Johnson says, I'm just glad it's over. Two of the Blues uh, spoke for the team when they uh, described what they thought were the reasons that they were so soundly beaten by the Bruins. John Ahern of the Boston Globe spoke to Gary Unger, who sat in his underwear in the dressing room, looking at his feet, just shaking his head. He was asked, was it that bad? Unger looked up at Ahern and said, it was worse. We went into this series thinking that we had a pretty good hockey club. Now we're out of this series and we still know we've got a pretty good hockey club, but we just never got on track. Ever since we beat Minnesota, we we just haven't had it. In the third period tonight Unger said the Blues played as well as they ever did but by then it was far too late. Unger thought the goaltending of both Jerry Cheevers and Eddie Johnson was the best that he's ever seen and according to Unger it was much better than he ever thought Boston had. Unger said you've got to give that S-Bowl a lot of credit. He's big, he's strong, he looks slow, But he goes right by you, and he can manhandle you. Barkley Plager, who seemed to be the spokesman for the Blues, was really, really disappointed at how it turned out. Bark said, we know we're better than that. It's just been a terrible letdown. Again, you come right back to their goaltending. It was the best I've ever seen them have. I repeat it. I said it the other day. If that's weak goaltending, I hope I never see strong net minding. Plager said that the Bruins were superb tonight, even if they did give us some goals. Plager said, I know Bobby Orr isn't right. Little did he know how correct he actually was. Plager said, we sat down on the ice one time and we just looked at each other and I said, are you hurting? He looked at me and he said, yes, no matter what. If Bobby Orr only had one leg, he'd still be the greatest thing out there. Orr just controlled the game tonight and he controlled all four games. But just look, Plager says, if all you've got is balanced, great, goaltending, and ore, that's an unbeatable combination. We know that now if we didn't know it before. So that left us with a bit of a layoff from Wednesday to Sunday. And of course, there was lots of talk about the upcoming final in both Boston and New York and other NHL cities as well. This was considered an epic matchup, and rightly so. There were a lot of writers declaring how great the Rangers had become. But most of us who kind of study the game the way we did... We really couldn't see how New York, who were now mostly returning to health, by the way, could possibly get the best of the Bruins the way they were just plowing through the opposition. Now, one of the key men the Rangers were getting back from injury was center Jean Rattel, who, until he sustained that broken ankle uh back in uh, early March, was matching Phil Esposito point for point in the scoring race. On Monday of this week, Raddy worked out with the team. Tim Moriarty of Newsday was there. John Rattel told Moriarty he felt happy and he looked it. The man his Rager teammates called Johnny had just emerged from the first scrimmage in eight weeks and now he was seated in the locker room at Skateland listening to the jabbering and joshing that was going on around him. Phil Goyette who was acquired from Buffalo after he retired from the Sabres, standing next to Rattel said, The man is back. I think he's going to make it and Vic Hadfield, always a joker, cracked, Yeah, But where are we going to play him? Well, Rattel grinned about that. He slipped his right foot into a dark blue sock, then gently tapped his ankle, the one he shattered in the game against California on March 1st. Rattel said, it feels okay now. It was a little stiff yesterday, but I think that's because I tried to do too much and I did a lot of walking around so the scrimmage which was conducted behind closed doors on the rangers practice rink had provided Rattel with the chance to test the ankle under almost game-like conditions and he figures he'll be ready when the rangers open the stanley cup final this series this sunday in boston Couple of other Ranger player notes going into the final series. Defenseman Jim Dory, who'd been sidelined for two months with a separated shoulder, also engaged in his first scrimmage at uh, the same time as Rattel. He said he absorbed a couple of fair body checks and suffered no pain in the shoulder. He too could be ready for the finals, as could Jimmy Nielsen, out since the opener of the Chicago series with a broken finger. But no decision has been made yet on which players the Rangers will dress. Eddie Jackmandol admitted that his strained left knee is still sore. The veteran goalie didn't suit up for the scrimmage. He spent part of the day undergoing diathermy treatment for the knee. He plans to test it during another Rangers scrimmage, probably on Wednesday or Thursday. But Emil Francis says Eddie's going to be ready. I just kept him off skates the past few days because I didn't want him to aggravate the knee. It seems there's always been an automatic sense of rivalry between the uh, two cities, New York and Boston. There have been frequently emotional attitude among the athletes as well as among their fans. There was some talk about this. Derek Sanderson, who was at Boston Garden for a skate, uh he's trying to get back into some shape. He's looking, uh, rested and healthy after his recent trials with, uh, what was reported as colitis and some sort of virus. Tom Fitzgerald of the Boston Globe talked to Sanderson who said, We don't kid ourselves. We know this Ranger team is a very good club. It'll probably be a little physical, but we're not gonna predict anything like that. We've learned all about making predictions. You don't see here us putting anyone down anymore. Not even this kid. Sanderson said he was reading where Hadfield said the Rangers are unbeatable. Actually, what Vic said was he just couldn't fathom, he couldn't see anybody beating the Bruins or beating the Rangers as well as they were playing. Sanderson said, well, hey, good luck to you. None of that's for us. We just go out on the ice and we do what we have to do. And we don't do too badly against them in the regular season. That illusion, of course, is inescapable. In six games from October through March, Boston lost the first one in Boston and then ran through five wins in a row against the Rangers, including all three matches at Madison Square Garden. We have a report from Red Burnett of the Toronto Star who polled a group of knowledgeable hockey men scouting the playoffs for NHL clubs, trying to get an idea of who they were picking in the Stanley Cup final. Red found that most of them were picking Boston and they all gave the same reasons. Bobby Orr, the extra game of the best-of-seven series in Boston Garden, if necessary, and, of course, the Bruins' power play, Sparked by Orr and center Phil Esposito. But the key factor that most of them spoke about was the fact that Boston took five of six NHL games from New York during the regular season. They said that will not have any effect on the bearing in this show. They point out that the Rangers were hurting from injuries when the Bruins mauled them and that John Rattel and Peter Stamkowski are now healthy and will give the Rangers the depth they lacked at center during the regular season. The scouts also pointed to the way the Ranger line of Bill Fairbairn, and rookie Gene Carr has blossomed into one of the league's best over the past month. They wonder if the soft four-game sweep against St. Louis has dulled Bruins and left them less than sharp for the major test. Man for man, they regarded the series as a standoff, except when Oren Esposito... Are are not on patrol. They wonder if the Ranger manager coach, Emil Francis, can slow down Esposito by employing four centers, Rattel, Kachuk, Stemkowski, and Bobby Russo, who made a living for years as a right winger with Canadians. Francis says he may actually use five centers, given the veteran Phil Goyette the odd shift as well. Certainly, Francis is going to be using all of his men in an effort to tire the Bruins' big guns. In New York, they insist that either Rattel or Kachuk can contain Esposito, and that defenseman Brad Park, admittedly number two to Orr, will try harder to take up the slap. The only problem is that no one tries any harder than Bobby Orr, and no one can match him because of his superior talent. Orr and the home ice... Swing the cup to the Bruins. So game one took place on Boston Garden on Sunday, April 30th at 2 p.m. Seen nationally in the United States on the CBS television network and, of course, on Hockey Night in Canada. Now, this really was a strange game one. For a while, it actually looked like this might be a repeat of the series between the Blues and the Bruins. Uh, And we'll let Norm Miller of the New York Daily News tell you about it. Norm writes, okay, so the Rangers lost the Stanley Cup Championship playoff opener, but let's not hear any more nonsense about how they're owned by this Boston Bully Boys team. Not after the gutsy three-goal comeback they made to tie the game in the final period, only to lose out 6-5 on a score by Ace Bailey, with just over two minutes left to play. For a while in the first period, when the Bruins almost incredibly scored two shorthanded goals within a space of 45 seconds to grab a 4-1 lead, it appeared that all the Rangers' nagging fears and self-doubts about Boston's domination had come back to torment them. And when Kenny Hodge completed a hat trick on his third goal of the game midway through, The middle period to shoot the Boston lead to 5-1, the standing room only crowd of 14,995 roared its delight while the TV watchers in New York muttered, same old Rangers, just can't do nothing against them Bruins. Then suddenly, the Bruins stopped skating and they picked up a few foolish penalties, and the Rangers all of a sudden reverted to many of the smart things they did in eliminating Canadians and Blackhawks, and things started coming their way. And before it was over, this was one tremendously exciting hockey game. A pair of power play goals, the first by Rod Gilbert in the second period and another by Vic Hadfield early in the third, hauled the Rangers to within two, two of the lead and now the momentum had swung their way. A score by Walter Kachuk off his own faceoff cut the Boston lead to one when Bruce McGregor whacked home a loose puck from in front of the net just a minute 29 later and it was all even with just over half a period to play. Eddie Jackman, back in the Ranger goal after sitting out three games in the Chicago Series. He made some beautiful saves to preserve the tie, but he just couldn't foil that last game-winning thrust by Ace Bailey. Bailey, taking a forward pass from Mike Walton outside the Ranger Blue Line, skated in alone down the left lane, circled around Brad Park, of all people, and backhanded a shot from a few feet out, the puck clearing Jackman's right shoulder and plunking high into the goal. Goalie Cherry, Cheevers, and the Bruins fought off threats by Hadfield and Pete Stemkowski in the final minute while the Rangers removed Jackman and attacked with six skaters. So the Rangers dropped this one, but they did it respectively in a manner that should erase many old bugaboos about the Bruins. Their game comeback today should even convince them they're an even match for the Bruins, even on Boston Ice, where the second game will be played Tuesday evening. So before we leave you this week we got two other stories we want to bring to you. Uh, first we have a little bit of news about the upcoming Russia Canada hockey series to be played in Canada and Russia this fall, eight game series. Gordie Howe and John Beliveau, two of the National Hockey League's greatest stars. Warned that the Canadian team that will meet Russia in an exhibition series better be well prepared. Belovo said one thing for sure. The Canadians had better be in shape. They train differently over there in Russia. Here, we train for hockey only. Over there, they train to run. They train to play soccer. They train to do everything Gordy Howe said they'll provide some surprises they know they're ready or they wouldn't have agreed to the games and that was exactly the situation Gordy said John's right they train differently I haven't learned anything new at training camp for 24 years telling you how the hockey world in North America runs same way it's always run," Beliveau added a warning about the scheduling of the eight-game series which will pit Russia's national team against a team of Canadian professionals. They haven't been picked yet, by the way. The dates are too early, said Bellavo. Our boys may not be ready. I think it would be better if the series opened around September 22nd instead of September 1st. Then we would be better prepared. The Canadian game will have to start training around On the first of August as it is. Howe and Belleville, now both vice presidents of clubs for which they played, were here to appear in a commercial demonstrations involving milk cartons. Their scheduled appearance on ice at Maple Leaf Gardens prevented them from continuing their conversation and discussing the picking of the nineteen man team position by position, although that probably would have been a very good discussion to have. Before going out to do battle with the milk cartons the two hockey veterans did make a few suggestions. Howe said goaltending won't be a problem for Canada. Gordy says you could pick 10 NHL goalies and you know that they would be strong between the pipes. Belleville said yep there's Tony Esposito, Ken Dryden, Ed Jaccoman, and Jacques Plant has been one of the greatest in his day. Beliveau said the team should be selected for strength, speed, and good shooting. And finally this week, last week, we told you about Jiggs McDonald resigning as the Los Angeles Kings play-by-play man. There was actually a lot of stories about that resignation this week uh, mainly Jack Kent Cook had not said anything about this now we got a little bit of a story here and you're going to find something about Jigs that I didn't know until this very time Jiggs McDonald actually called Lowell, uh, Lowell Schrader of the Long Beach Independent he's a media guy sports media guy well Jiggs called him and Jiggs is his former boss Jack Kent Cooke decreed he be called. Noted that forum sources were relaying faulty statistics about the salary Cook paid him to do radio and TV play-by-play for the Kings. McDonald said, "I was offered far less." than $35,000. If Cook had made that kind of an offer, I'd still be here. I haven't had a raise in three years and I came to the club for union scale five years ago. Union scale to broadcast in the top professional hockey league in the world. That's how NHL teams do business. Now, as the conversation developed, it became obvious that salary was not the only consideration in the estrangement of Cook and McDonald, who next year will handle broadcasts according to Lowell Schrader for the Atlanta NHL Expansion Club. Whether by choice or by nature... Cook manages to force a measure of degradation upon his employees. And in that, he's like a lot of other NHL owners. Take the nickname bit. Jakes McDonald remembered an hour-and-a-half conference with Cook when he joined the Kings. Cook liked the the recall value of nicknames, said uh, McDonald. Uh, He liked names such as Chick Hearn instead of Francis Hearn. So they sat there with Cook and McDonald trying to manufacture a nickname for Ken McDonald. Cook uh, said, "'Surely at some point in your life somebody call you by a nickname.'" So Jiggs said, I had been called Jiggs by a couple of buddies when I was in the seventh grade. Presto, Ken McDonald became Jiggs McDonald, whether he liked it or not. And in a conversation soon after Cook had given him the moniker, McDonald reported privately that his wife was less than happy when she learned that she was married to Jiggs McDonald rather than Ken then there's been the idiotic preoccupation with nicknames for players with the Kings anyway. Eddie Joyel became the Jet, even though there was already a Golden Jet in the NHL. Bill Flett was dubbed the Cowboy, McDonald's side. That first year, we had uh, Brian Kilray, and Cook insisted we call him Killer, even though Brian Kilray wouldn't have killed a fly. The Frenchy Lemus and the Hogie Hogansons and the Chief Campbells were absolutely sufferable. But MacDonald believes Cook went beyond the limits of show business when he anglicized the name of Yuha Marku Whiting, a Finland native born of Swedish parents. What could be more colorful than Yuha Viding, as the name is pronounced? Cook insisted the youngster become Whitey Whiting. And that's how the NHL did business then. And now you know that Jiggs McDonald was not always Jiggs. <laughs> So that is this week's show everyone and what did we learn this time around? Well we learned that the Bruins would take out the Blues in four straight and at least the score of the final game was respectable although I would venture a guess that the Bruins took their foot off the gas a little bit on that one. The Rangers versus Bruins in the final, the Bruins took game one, but they had to be a little concerned about the route they followed to earn that opening game victory. And on the other hand, I think the Rangers could be encouraged that they let the Bruins get ahead and then came back to even the score. And we learned that a couple of all-time greats had some words of warning for the NHLers who are going to face the Russians this September. Now be sure to tune in next week when we consider our con- continue our coverage of the 1972 Stanley Cup Final series. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Andy does a wonderful job with this, especially during these last few months as I battled long COVID. Uh, the the way he's put this together to make me sound almost uh, like I know what I'm doing, it's all because of Andy. Andy will produce a podcast for you. He does this stuff professionally. Uh, if you're interested in something like that, get a hold of me. I'll set you guys up. Andy is a true media professional. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. They're going on tour in May throughout the United States. They're also going to have dates in Canada. I know of at least one in Ontario coming up, two actually. And uh, they put on a great high energy show and they are wonderful musicians. Uh, other musical pieces and sound effects in the podcast are by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files at the Toronto Star, Toronto Global and Mail, and of course, the many publications found at newspapers.com, one of our best sponsors, without their help we could not do what we do here. And do not forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. I hope some of you managed to make it to the Niagara region this year. Look me up. We'll meet at the Breakwall for a burger and a beer. You can find us on Twitter at at hockey 50 years every day and on facebook under the 50 years ago in hockey banner and of course each week right here on the hockey podcast network we have a wordpress site hockey 50 years ago.com and if you download your podcast from uh, apple or anywhere else you can find us there as well thank you to everyone who tunes into our show the 71 uh, playoffs are going to be, uh, a, this final series is going to be great and we'll be bringing it to you all the way and the upcoming summer with the advent of the World Hockey Association and the Summit Series this summer makes 1972 a very interesting year and we hope you'll join us for that. When the ice breaks